we are finishing up a brief look at the life of David. And uh, this was a series that we started about a month ago or a month and a half ago. And uh, if you were here two weeks ago, you might recall that I talked about the story of David and Bathsheba. Every preacher's nightmare. Passage, right? Not necessarily. Um, I made some assumptions about people knowing the story, and I think to some degree those assumptions were correct. Uh, most of us have heard about David and Bathsheba and kind of understand the story, but maybe what we didn't understand were some of the details of how David tried to cover up his sin and the extent to which he went to to protect himself, to rationalize his behavior, to justify himself, and all the while kind of digging the hole a bit deeper and uh, finding himself in a, uh, in a bad spot. And... Uh, one of the things that I mentioned two weeks ago was that the legacy of David's behavior was not a positive legacy, right? David lived out the rest of his life uh, really as a conflicted person, and his family was pretty messed up as well as a result of the decisions that he made, the choices that he made to get involved with this young woman. By way of application, I also talked about the fact that too many people too many friends, too many colleagues, too many family members that I know have found themselves entangled in adulterous relationships. Relationships that have not only damaged them, but have damaged people around them, had destroyed people's lives. In revisiting this account of David and Bathsheba and watching friends and colleagues fall into adulterous relationships, it's caused me not only to ask why, why does this happen? But it's also led me to the conclusion that I shared with you two weeks ago, and it's this. Moral collapse is a process. Moral collapse is a process. It's rarely a blowout, right? It's like a slow leak that takes place with a small, thousand small indulgences, one step at a time. <laughs> I said that I don't know anybody who wakes up one day and says, you know, today seems like a good day to have an affair. You know, this is the day. Nobody does that, at least nobody that I know of. People transition into affairs. They get there one step at a time. And at some point, if they're fortunate, they wake up and they look in the mirror and they recognize where they're at and they take some action to, sh to change where they're at. And I also suggested two weeks ago that there does seem to be an inevitable sequence of events that takes place. It's even predictable. And one of my hopes two weeks ago was as we identified this inevitable sequence of events, and it's listed in your program, by the way, that it might be a wake-up call for some people that were here to say, okay, I find myself at some point in this process and maybe I need to do something differently. We see how these events unfolded in David's life as well. And we see how they unfold in our lives, in the lives of other people far too often as well. So the question this morning, the thing that I want to talk about is, how do we avoid the inevitable? How do we avoid it? Maybe a better question is, can we avoid falling into an adulterous relationship if we're married people? Or if we're single... Can we avoid getting involved with somebody who's married? Can we? And the answer to that is yes. But the truth is, any of us can fall 
Any one of us can fall. The main thing is to know how incredibly vulnerable we are and how important it is to always be alert. Don't be naive. I've lived a great deal of my life being fairly naive about things. I'm not quite as naive as I used to be, but I have that tendency. Don't be naive. We're often overthrown because we're unguarded, because we let our guard down. Now, this isn't to say, right, that you're suspect of every single relationship that you find yourself in. Or that you should never, if you're a a male, have any kind of interaction with a female, or vice versa. Because I think we need to have healthy relationships with people of the opposite sex. But it means that we need to be aware. We need to be alert. We need to pay attention to what's going on inside of us. We need to pay attention to what's going on between us and other people. I would encourage you to trust your instincts. Okay? I think we're kind of messed up as people, generally. But I do think that we still have some good instincts. And we need to trust those from time to time. So what do we do? How do we guard ourselves? Here's the first way. We guard our relationship with God. We guard our relationship with God. We guard our hearts. Our hearts are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Writer of Proverbs says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Pay attention to what's going on inside of you. And in case you didn't know this, there is a close relationship between human sexuality and human spirituality. There's a very close relationship. Charles Williams observed, Sensuality and sanctity are so close that our motives, in some cases, can hardly be separated. Sexual passion is in some way, I believe, a picture of our spiritual passion for God. They're both very intimate, and there's a connectedness between them. It's about our desire to be one with God. It's true that our devotion to Christ meets our deepest longings. That's true. But when our love for Christ wanes, when we are dry, when our well is empty, we're vulnerable. We get restless. We want something more. And our resolve in every area of our life is weakened. We have a need for intimacy with God. And when that's not healthy that intimacy gets misplaced sometimes onto other people. St. Anthony wrote in the 3rd century, and he offered this warning, the devil can no way enter our mind or body unless he first deprived it of all holy thoughts and made it empty and bare of spiritual contemplation. You see, when we are dry and when we're empty and when our focus is on something other than the Lord, we're vulnerable. We're vulnerable to inappropriate relationships. The next thing we can do is guard our minds against romantic and sexual fantasy. Our predominant thoughts will determine our inevitable actions. Do you believe that? The things that you think about, the things that you dwell on, will ultimately determine what you do. Being and doing go together. 
It's just the way it is. The writer of Proverbs said it this way, As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. What we think about determines what we do, ultimately. But how do we stop thinking erotic thoughts? How do we do that? Some of the desert fathers, these were men that went out into the desert in the first and second century to escape the world. What was the number one thing that some of these desert fathers struggled with? It was lust. How can that be? The only other person they ever saw was some monk that lived in the next village. Right? But they struggle with it because it's so much a part of who we are. So what do we do? How do we stop? The truth is, we don't. We can't. You can't turn it off. You can control what you watch. You can control what you read, what goes in. But to a large degree, you can't stop thinking. We can't will away thoughts. I don't care who you are. We can't do it. None of us are that strong. Instead, we need to replace those thoughts. We need to displace those thoughts with the kinds of things that Paul talks about in Philippians 4. Good things, helpful things, encouraging things. It takes discipline. It takes devotion. It takes time alone. It takes listening to God. And we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And we allow God to speak to us. And we replace that other stuff with thoughts about the Lord. Meditation, prayer, discipline. It's hard work. Another thing we can do to avoid falling into sexual sin is to cultivate affection for our spouses if we're married. We need to work daily at our marriages, folks that are married. We need to rekindle love and passion in our marriage. Contrary to popular opinion, it doesn't just happen. There are some of you here this morning that have been married for less than a month. Some of you have been married for 20 plus years. And I think every one of you would agree that marriage is hard work. It requires intentionality. You mean I need to be intentional about the time I spend with my spouse? When we want to have an intimate time together, we actually have to put that on the calendar. I don't know if you need to put it on the calendar, but you need to be intentional about it. We need to work hard to maintain romance in our relationships, in our marriages. We need to attend an occasional marriage enrichment retreat. I'm serious. We do. We need to see a marriage and family therapist from time to time, even when we're not in crisis, right? A checkup. Why well, can't go see a shrink if I'm not messed up? Yeah, you can. You can and you should from time to time. Perhaps you need to get involved in a small group that focuses on marriage issues. We may have one here at this church that you could be a part of, or we may have a couple of them. The fact is marriage is hard work. There is no way around it. There is no way around it. And we are terribly vulnerable to an affair if we neglect our marriages and permit them to grow dull and cold and become disinterested in what's happening. 
We have to be intentional about nurturing all of our relationships. I don't care if you're married or single. Relationships require hard work. And you need to work at it. You need to nurture them. Watch for infatuations. This is the next thing, the next way that we can guard ourselves. Infatuation. I said two weeks ago that that most adulterous relationships don't necessarily begin with lust. Okay, now in the case of David, he was walking around on the roof of his palace and he saw this beautiful young woman, Bathsheba, taking a bath and so he decided that he wanted her and he got her and he was also the king of Israel. Right? And he was powerful and he abused his power. But generally, it doesn't begin like that. It begins with infatuation. We meet somebody that we work with or that we live by or that we're friends with and we value them and we appreciate them and we respect them and we like their personality and we're drawn to them. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there's a line that we, tr- that we cross over. You're going to be attracted to people that you're not married to. That's human. Okay? But be careful of infatuation because it leads to other things. St. Augustine, he confessed, this is a great saint of the church, confessed that he could not distinguish between the clear shining of affection and the darkness of lust. He couldn't distinguish between healthy relating and unhealthy relating to people. And further, he admitted that he could not keep himself within the kingdom of light where friendship binds soul to soul. And so, as he said, he polluted many of his friendships with the sewage of lust. Pretty strong words. Ironically, it's often with our friends that we're most vulnerable to moral collapse. What is it with us human beings that we take good things, sexuality, friendship, marriage, and mess it up. We are so adept at doing that. We're so human. (laughs) Are you attracted to someone other than your spouse? I'm going to ask you some difficult questions this morning. Are you? If you're single, do you find yourself attracted to someone who's married? Do you look for excuses to meet with people that you're not married to? Do you dress in certain ways when you know you're going to be around those people? You find yourself wanting to reach out and touch that person, to hug them, to be close to them. Do you imagine what a romantic relationship with them might be like? You find yourself getting defensive when a friend or a spouse expresses dis-ease with the relationship. Do you? These are some of the early signs that a friendship or an infatuation is turning into something more. And you need to be honest with yourself this morning as you think about these things. Along these same lines, we all seem to guard against intimacy with anyone other than our mate. The secrets of our hearts, our deepest longings and desires and hurts and dreams are reserved for those people that we're married to. 
When we share those things with someone else, it's like we give away a piece of our heart to someone else. And that's not appropriate. One of the greatest mistakes that we can make is to share our inner conflicts, our struggles and our disappointments, a piece of our heart with someone else that we're not married to. Because it creates a connection. It creates a connection. And when we do it, we're truly playing with fire. One of the things that I tell people is if you're related to somebody and they begin to talk to you about these kinds of things, about their dreams and their their marriage problems and the, the difficulties, how do you draw the line? How do you say, you know, this isn't appropriate for me to listen to? Right? It's a red flag, quite honestly. Now, we want to be good friends, we want to be helpful and all those other things, but, but it's not appropriate. What I've told people from time to time is if someone begins to share these kinds of things with you, you may need to say to them, you know, that would be more appropriate for you to talk to with your spouse. Because I'm not, I'm not comfortable with it. I'm not comfortable with it. Pay attention. Trust your instincts. Be alert during times of stress. During unusual pressure, this is the next thing. Be alert. I don't know about you, but when I'm worn out, when I'm running on empty, I get really needy. Emotionally, spiritually. I want somebody to affirm me. I want somebody to say, you know, you're great. We really like you. And the tragedy is in many of our marriages and our relationships, sometimes that doesn't come from our spouse. And that's it's not an indictment on our spouses it's just the way it is but we need that don't we from people our flaws always show up when we're under stress <laughs> i don't care who you are we're exceptionally vulnerable on days when we are weary and tired and physically depleted and when we're lonely and we're feeling isolated we long for attention and affirmation and there's plenty of people that are willing to give it to us. It's almost like people have a detector, you know, and it's like, it's called a needy detector. You notice that? When you're really feeling down, and, and I don't mean necessarily in a healthy way either, you know, but they, people just seem to, to, to see that. Be careful. Be alert. Beware of those who pursue you, who come after you. This is the next thing. Inappropriately. Instincts. Trust your gut. People are going to pursue you. People are going to like you. People are going to be interested in you. They're going to want to know more about you, know who you are, what makes you function, especially if you're a believer. And they're not. They want to know, what is it about this person? And what is it about you that's different? But there's a point when you know that that pursuit is not healthy. And you need to be careful. I came across these two verses in Proverbs. (laughs) Occasionally, the, the writer says, a man will encounter a lonely huntress dressed for the kill with crafty intent. Hey, guys, you're not off the hook. There's also the conquistador 
right? Who spends his energy preying on women. They're out there. Such people, though they may not know it, they bring other people down and they have the potential to destroy our lives. There are many people with great needs and they want someone to satisfy those needs. Be careful. Finally, regularly rehearse the consequences of an affair. There's a sobering thought. This is not to say sit around all day long and think about what would happen. Okay, That's not a healthy thing either. But you need to stop and think about the consequences of your actions. Every single person that I know that's ever gotten involved outside of their marriage, if they had known this much of what those actions would have done to them and to other people, they would never have done that. I really believe that. But we don't stop and think. When we are so incredibly needy, we don't stop and think. What would happen if we visualized from time to time what would happen to us and other people if we got involved in an adulterous relationship? Adultery is suicide. And the victim is your soul. That's the truth. We need to stop and we need to think about what we're doing. Listen to what this poet, Paul Dunbar, wrote. This is the debt I pay just for one riotous day. Years of regret and grief, sorrow without relief, slight was the thing I bought, small was the debt, I thought. Poor was the loan, at best, God but the interest. Regret. I came across a note written by a man whose marriage was destroyed by an adulterous relationship. Listen to the regret that's expressed in this letter. He said, I have to live the rest of my life without the person that I truly love. The person that used to love me. The person that knew me best. The person that accepted me. Now there's no chance to undo the wrong that I've committed. I've lost the best thing that ever happened to me. I've lost the best relationship in my life. I've lost my best friend. Regret. Publicize the fact that you're married. (laughs) Talk openly about it. This isn't a weird thing to do. Wear your wedding ring. Scott Bufell one day said, Pastor Kurt, can I say this? Can I tell the story? <laughs> he said, he said, Jen and I noticed that you weren't wearing your wedding ring. And, uh, and that was one Sunday when Darlene was somewhere else, right? <laughs> and, uh, and I said, well, Scott, actually, you know, my fingers swell up from time to time. I just didn't put it on. But you know what? I have to tell you this. I mean, that was a great reminder to me. And I think about it every time I put my wedding ring on. Think about you. <laughs> no, but we need to, we need to, we need to, it's okay to let people know that you're married. It's okay to have a, a picture of your spouse somewhere. You know, probably not on your forehead, but somewhere. Surround yourself with the reminders of your marriage. It's good for us and it's good for other people. It's a healthy thing to do. Find a friend. <laughs> Get a friend. Or as Sam Leach would say, find an account-a-buddy. 
right? An accountability partner. An account of buddy. Sorry, I didn't go over that well, Sam. One on whom you can unload your secrets. One on whom you can dump your truck. You know, sometimes we back up and... Uh, we need people like that in our lives. We need people who won't flinch when they hear the stuff that comes out of us. If we really believe that we could share with people on that level, we'd do it. But I think we honestly believe that if we told people how we really feel, what's really going on, what we're really thinking about, they would just go, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't listen to that. You are really screwed up. Isn't that your worst fear? You, you share your heart with somebody and they go, oh man. We need to have people in our lives that can ask us the tough questions. And especially this question, right? Are you lying to me? We tell the whole thing, right? And then what happens when somebody says, okay, thanks for sharing that. Are you telling me the truth? Have you lied to me about anything you've said today? Do you have people like that in your life? If you don't, you need people like this in your life. I could not survive as a person or certainly as a pastor without people in my life that I can talk to. You need people like that. We can ask God to guard us every minute of the day. But the truth is, every one of us has our price. Every one of us is vulnerable. Every one of us can fall. I don't care how old you are, how young you are. I don't care about what you do with your life. I don't care about how attractive you are. I don't care about any of that. Every one of us are vulnerable. Every one of us. When we witness the demise of friends or family members, we say, oftentimes, there but for the grace of God go I. You ever say that? Maybe not in those words. We should probably say, there but for the grace of God, I may yet go. None of us are above moral collapse. We need to be alert. We're all vulnerable. No matter how willing our spirits may be, our flesh is always weak. Our safety doesn't lie ultimately in keeping ourselves safe, but putting ourselves in God's hands for safekeeping. Day after day after day after day. We are in a battle. And as Peter said, the devil is like a roaring lion who prowls around seeking for people to destroy. It's not a fable. It's not a children's story, a scary children's story. That is the truth. We need to entrust our hearts and our lives to the one who knows us and loves us best. We need to open our hearts up to God and say, this is who I am. I need your help. 
Jesus' words provide the best advice. And I'll end with them. This is what he said in Matthew 26. Watch and pray. Be sober, be vigilant. (laughs) Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. So that you will not fall into temptation. Amen. It occurred to Scott and I as we were planning the worship service this morning, for this morning, you know, the question is, how do, how do we respond to what we've heard and to uh, what we've experienced? And um, it occurred to both of us that it might be inappropriate and maybe a past due time to spend some time as a congregation praying for healing. Okay? And I don't mean just in our marriages, although some of us need healing in our marriages. But I mean healing for the variety of things, of the issues and the problems and the difficulties that we face, whether they're physical, emotional, spiritual, whatever they are. And so we're going to do that as a part of our time of worship. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer for healing. And then we're going to do something else that we've not done before publicly. And I want to encourage you to to really ask God what He would have you do here. We're going to have a time of prayer and anointing for those of you that desire that. And we're going to actually ask people to come and to be prayed for. And again, this is not some weird thing. This is biblical. This is what James tells people to do. If someone's sick, call the elders of the church together and pray for this person so that they might be healed. It's going to be part of our worship time as we continue... And um, if God is doing something in you this morning, if God, if you need to be healed from something, I'm not a faith healer. I don't even know if I have the gift of healing. But I know that God is faithful and that he answers prayer and that there are people here that will pray. So I want to encourage you this morning, uh, if this is the time for you to come and to be prayed for, for healing, um, please do that. Please do that. Um, This is a safe place. We're all in this thing together, right? And so pray, and as you worship, ask God to direct you how we can pray for your healing this morning. So worship team, come on up, and let's continue to worship. Let me pray for us as we... God, thank you that um, that you desire us to be healthy people, whole people. And so as we continue to worship you this morning, speak to us. Speak into those areas of our life that need your touch.